0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who's creating a garden with little money, space, or experience. We're talking with Angeline Young about starting from scratch. Angeline is a dancer and scholar from San Francisco, California. She is currently completing her PhD in Comparative Cultures and Languages at Arizona State University. Her research focuses on the Chinese community in Rome, Italy. In her spare time, Angeline started a small container garden, her garden is a 8-foot by 6-foot balcony in a large apartment complex. Using grow pots, milk cartons, and recycled plastic containers, she is cultivating her green thumb. Welcome to the show today, Angeline. Are you ready to rock?
1: I'm ready to rock and roll.
0: Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Sure. I've always wanted to garden. I grew up in the city. I grew up in San Francisco where we didn't have any garden space. Now as an adult, it's something that I'm able to do on my little balcony here. I live in an apartment complex and I also live in the desert and I I I like to see greenery because it reminds me of home. It feels it allows me to feel settled. So I started a little container garden and The timing of it was important because I was actually in Europe, in Italy, and I was doing research for my PhD when the COVID-19 pandemic broke out, and we were actually able to escape Italy before the country went into lockdown. Wow. And when we got home, I was processing what had just happened, and what I, I felt like I really needed was to root down and to settle. And I started a garden and I literally put down roots so that I could come into a sense of peace and feel or try and feel like things were okay in the world. So the garden has helped me with self-care, but also connecting with a collective movement to learn how to care for each other and to raise our consciousness for what it means to take care of the self. Uh-huh. And to become self-sufficient in, in in little ways. I mean, I'm not out here to change the world and how the food system works. But I think just understanding how the planets move, how the sun is moving across the sky, how bugs work in the garden, um, how water evaporation works. All of that helps me to understand what it is I'm supposed to be doing here on
0: Earth. So this garden is brand, brand new this year
1: super brand new i know i really have no idea what i'm doing i didn't understand the challenge i was taking on i have to be honest it we're in the desert it's 115 degrees today and it has been we're in a heat wave this is normal for us it's challenging for the first two months, it was great. I was so happy. I saw little shoots come up. There was something new every day to see. There's always something new every day to see. But man, there are things that I did not anticipate that I'm having to problem solve every day. And so it's a relationship I'm having with my garden.
0: All right. Well, first thing you need to know is that. July and August, we're recording this in July, July and August are the hardest times to grow in the desert. Okay. So you stepped into it in the spring, you had some good luck early on, and then when it got hot, you had more challenges. And just so you know, the things in pots here at the Urban Farm are also suffering. Okay. So you're not doing anything wrong. It's just, it's part of the process.
1: Okay. Then I can't wait for the fall. (laughs) Right? It's, it's, It's rough going right now. But I'm just going to wait for the fall.
0: <laughs> well, and you should continue to nurture what you have to see what happens with it, because that's how we learn. I tell yeah. people all the time, I promise you, I've killed more plants than you have. Not on purpose. It just happens that way. And that's how we learn.
1: Yes. So I am in a space right now where I'm letting go to see where the experience takes me.
0: Nice. Nice. And so let's walk out onto your patio and tell people about your garden.
1: Okay. I live in a large apartment complex. And so most of the landscape is concrete. So my balcony is, the flooring is cement, it's concrete. Mm-hmm. And I've got about eight times six is 48, 48 square feet. Is that right? Yep. Is my math correct? Yep. Okay. Not a big space at all, but I have managed to put in some wire shelving and on top of the wire shelving, I've got some plastic drip trays on which... container pots sit. So I've got it organized. So that's one thing I would suggest. If you're starting a container garden, start small and build up because if you're not a planner like me and you just want to jump in, start small so that you can add to it. Because I think the unknown of what your garden is going to look like can be really exciting. So if you're a planner, go ahead and plan. But if you want to just jump in and feel it out intuitively, I would recommend start small and go go slow. Mm -hmm. So I've got some shelves out there. I've got one gallon containers, two, three, five, and seven, and a big 20 gallon in which my pumpkin plant is sitting in. And I ordered some redwood steaks six foot redwood stakes to hold up some of the vining vegetables that I'm trying to grow. And it's looking a little crazy right now, but I'm fine with the wildness of nature.
0: Nice. I believe that we all should be fine with the wildest of wildness <laughs> of nature.
1: I've also got a bench out there that my partner made for me because I believe that if We're trying to create a small green space that we can enjoy. We should be able to enjoy it and be immersed in it. So I have a little seating area there so I can sit and enjoy in the evenings. Right now, it's a little too hot to be out there during the day. So I am watering at night. I don't know if you have any suggestions for how to water, but I do not have a faucet set up out there, so I can't set up drip irrigation. Uh So I water at night, and I... Water also, I overwater so that the pots, which are fabric, are sitting in the water that's collecting in the drip tray, so that oh, it can good. wick, wick right. throughout the day. Is that the right thing to do? Yeah,
0: probably. With, okay. With the heat that we're sitting in. Uh, okay. One of the things you want to be wary of is that collecting water can also collect mosquitoes.
1: I've got mosquito bits for that.
0: Oh, all right. Good.
1: I have got that. Special bacteria that uh, helps control mosquitoes and moth larvae and gnat larvae because I'm having a gnat problem. And the gnat problem is due, I believe, to using the wrong kind of soil.
0: It's probably more of a, an issue of just, they're called soil gnats, and the you know, they just happen when, when you have moist soil.
1: Okay, and so it's probably not the rookie mistake I made of burying banana peels and kitchen scraps in the soil because I saw it on YouTube.
0: Well, that's a good idea. That's adding potassium to your soil.
1: Okay, that, that's not a bad thing. Great.
0: No, not at all. In fact, when we plant tomatoes, I suggest that people put a banana peel, an eggshell, and some alfalfa pellets in the bottom of their holes when they plant their tomatoes. That's oh, okay. From, yeah, that's from Kari Spencer, the Microfarm Project. That's how she plants them.
1: Does that work for all vegetables and all plants or uh, just the ones that need those special nutrients?
0: Good question. It's worth experimenting with. I would say that it probably would be good for all plants. Got it. So we're standing out on your back patio and I saw a picture and I, I kind of giggled when I saw the picture because you used old milk cartons for pots, right?
1: Yes, I have old milk cartons because they were free. I mean, after I bought the milk, right? They're working pretty well. I believe that they're waxed on the inside, so it's keeping them from from composting themselves. The plants seem pretty happy. I'm happy because I didn't have to, you know, invest anything additional to have a plant container. Mm -hmm. I also have, you know, when you go to the supermarket and you buy like a big box of greens. Yep. I have that as a drip tray for those milk cartons so that when it gets hot I can, it'll you know I can overwater and it'll catch the water and then continue to hydrate the plant. Mm-hmm. That has been really helpful. Let me think.
0: You know, and I'm thinking back a minute ago to the water standing in the bottom of the trays. Yeah. That could go either way, so you want to experiment with that both ways, leaving it okay. there and then draining it out to let it dry out because there's this whole notion of a wicking bed. And basically what that means is you have a garden bed and there's water in the very bottom and the water wicks up through the bed. So that could go either way. So you're going to want to experiment with that some.
1: All right. So I have a little problem that could be the result of maybe over wicking. My pumpkin plant is showing signs of trauma. And so the older leaves toward the base of the plant are turning yellow and dying. And at first I thought maybe it's the gnats that are chewing on its roots. So I, I controlled the gnats, but then maybe in this conversation I'm realizing maybe it, it's getting waterlogged. Could be. Is that possible? Okay.
0: Yeah, it definitely could be. But it's in a, it's in one of those cloth bags though, is it not? It is. Yeah. So that breathes, you know, this time of year, I'm going back to that. This time of year is a really hard time to grow. And if the rest of the leaves look great and the plant looks nice and green, then, you know, having a few leaves die at the end is not such a big problem.
1: I'm pruning them off. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay.
0: (laughs) Although I remember that you told me that your patio is on the north side, correct?
1: Let's talk about this because every time the sun comes through, I think about that conversation, that podcast that you had with. Catherine Crowley, the the gardener that grows herbs in the desert. Mm -hmm. And I found that conversation really inspiring because you talked about, her suggestion was to watch the sun. And you had this whole conversation about the sun and the, the optimal location for gardening certain plants. And she had suggested that you plant different things in different areas of the garden. And in my case, it's the balcony, but still I tried that. And that was great advice because you get a sense of which plants are willing to adapt to the amount of sun or shade that you're getting. So my balcony, it faces north. However, I do get about three and a half hours of morning sun from the east. Mm -hmm. And then in the afternoon or in in the evening, I get about three hours of, of western exposure. Yes. So all together, every day I'm sitting here calculating, okay, I get about five and a half, six hours of sun. That's great. That's great. What can can survive in this? What is happy in this? And you know what I found is this is not going to be a surprise, but can you guess which herb will tolerate the shade in this heat? Basil? Yes. Yeah. I felt like I hit the lottery and my partner said, well, you know, you're on an upward climb here and you are trying to figure out you know what you want to grow and what can grow, and you might just level out at basil. You might just have a garden that grows basil. Because as gardeners, especially rookies, we want to feel good. We want to feel empowered. So one thing that I would recommend is if you're a little bit if you're a little bit scared or shy of doing this, just start small and whatever you're planting. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, farmer Greg. Whatever you're planting, stick a garlic clove in the ground because garlic Clothes will grow no matter what, and you'll feel good if, for some reason, the seed doesn't germinate or it dies off because you overwatered it or you didn't give it what it needed or it didn't get enough sun or its basic requirements were not met. Garlic is like the Rambo of the garden. It will grow, and the shoot, as soon as you see that green shoot coming up, you'll feel vindicated. You made the right decision.
0: Nice. And,
1: and from there, you work. you know, You have to have a sense of confidence when you do something new. Yeah.
0: I love that. The Rambo of gardening. So what did you do to get soil in your containers?
1: Well, I did what every beginner gardener does. I went to the hardware store and picked out a brand name soil that I thought was going to miraculously help things grow. (laughs) However, I would say that that was my number one biggest rookie mistake.
0: Oh, why? Why?
1: Because I want to keep an organic garden. I want to make sure that I know what is going into my soil so that I can feel good about what's going into my mouth. Ultimately, I'm growing things that I would like to eat. And that this particular brand name, Soil, contain synthetic fertilizers and I remember when I found this out I was bereaved I actually sought out your help farmer Greg I found I went on the internet I did a search first I found the lovely desert planting calendar that you have Uh and I printed that out I put it in a plastic sheet I keep in a box with all my seeds and then I reached out to you because I was feeling grief about this choice that I had made and I had planted my pumpkins in it and I was planning on eating the pumpkin and harvesting the flowers and the leaves and then here I find out that there's actually synthetic fertilizer in this brand name soil Mm -hmm. and it made me think well That is not, that is the opposite of what I wanted to do. I wanted to empower myself to grow something that I could eat. And this thing, this, the soil that most of us are reaching for, that's readily available, that's widely advertised, contains this, synthetic in it. So I reached out to you and I said, what am I going to do? And I love that you go by the motto of being a lazy gardener. And you simply wrote me back and said, you know what, just water it for the next three days and it'll wash most of that chemical out and it should be fine. That made me feel so much better because I was not going to uproot a 20 gallon, you know, I wasn't going to empty a 20 gallon container pot. One, because I'm, I'm not that strong and it's it's way too much work. Right. So I just chalked it up to okay, this is an experience and then from there that's when I went full on to find out what I needed to do to mix my own soil. So I found it by way of jumping around a few websites, there're lots of YouTube videos. You really have to do your own research and figure out what it is you want to grow, what you're willing to spend because Having a new garden doesn't have to be expensive, but it can be. So I decided I was going to mix organic compost with some coconut choir with worm castings oh, because nice. I knew I didn't want to work with manure because of the smell because mm-hmm. I'm a sick girl and having to track track in the possibility of tracking in that manure into my living room and then going to wash it off was too much work for me to think about. So, you know trying to cultivate the lazy gardener in me because I think that's healthy. And I have something that works for me. Just buy everything in bulk, figure out what your proportions are and you should have a little space to store it, but don't overbuy because if you overbuy, then you don't have enough space to move around on your balcony or to display and enjoy your your labor.
0: Nice. And one of the things that I might suggest in her also is when yeah. you're looking for soil,
1: yeah,
0: you want to find locally grown soil.
1: Oh, I got locally made compost. Does yep. that count?
0: Absolutely. That's exactly what we're talking about. Local compost and local worm castings are, are our best bet because it, we have microorganisms that grow in the soil here in Arizona. Uh And if we ship our soil to Minnesota, it's a little bit different. You know, it's a little different microorganism. So I'm always a big proponent of finding your soil products locally. Got it. Have you had a pest problem?
1: Yes. Can we do some counseling on that?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we can absolutely do some pest control counseling. So what problems have you had?
1: Okay. I have currently two issues one is a gnat problem in all its different stages of development Mm -hmm. i also have this tiny teeny green worm that is on the undersides of my pumpkin plants as well as my sunflower leaves Mm -hmm. and it just seems to be sucking away the leaf around it And I think that it might be a cabbage moth that's laying its eggs on my pumpkin leaves and then they're hatching and just going to buffet. Uh So, you know, there are a few hours that I spend out there in the evening time trying not to cry. And I'm out there with my spray, my spray bottle and my homemade insecticide because I believe that we should be using organic. And when I say organic, I mean... I guess nothing is non-chemical, but I'm trying to use whatever is healthy for the earth yeah. so that, one, it doesn't leach into the soil, and two, I'm not supporting and reinforcing this idea that we need to kill everything with, you know, man-made chemicals. Um, so I'm out there with a mixture of part water, rosemary essential oil, peppermint essential oil, a little bit of garlic-infused oil. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I drop a little neem in there, but I have to warn you, neem is really strong. You have to dilute it or it will kill your plants, which I, I discovered. So I will shake it up, go out there with a long sleeve shirt and my sunglasses and spray away. And I feel like I'm fighting a war because I will spray one night and I will watch the little green things curl up and basically die on the leaf. And then the next night I'll come back and there's its brother or sister is out
0: there. Right. So those are caterpillars of some kind. Yeah. Um, You had called them worms. Worms actually live in the ground. Caterpillars are from flying insects.
1: Okay. And
0: the product that if we're having a problem with them, the product we want to use is called B-T. Yes. Bacillus thuringiensis It's a naturally occurring bacteria that doesn't agree with the caterpillars.
1: So you recommend investing in the concentrate and diluting it in the spray bottle and using that directly? Yes. OK,
0: if you if you're being challenged by caterpillars, the biggest thing that we can be doing is building healthy soil. And what you'll find over time is that as your your soil gets healthy, you'll have less of a bug problem.
1: That's interesting. I, I, I did hear you mention that in another podcast and I find that to be true. All of the the stuff that I'm growing in the soil, which I bought at the big box store, Mm -hmm. has the caterpillar issue.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: I mean, you know, the gnats like to lay their eggs wherever they can. So the gnats are kind of, they're kind of pretty evenly dispersed, but I would say they're more heavily prevalent in and around the plants that are trying to survive in that soil I was discussing previously. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, and and so improving the soil in those pots over time will be your job. And basically what you do is you add worm castings and compost.
1: Okay, that's what I'm doing. I'm also making um, a worm casting tea and also experimenting with uh, compost tea and manure tea. Good. It's fun.
0: I don't know that you'll necessarily need the manure tea, but the compost tea (laughs) and the worm tea would probably be really great for you. The other thing you can do in experimenting with those, if you get a little uh, aquarium aerator. Okay. A little aquarium air pump. Yeah. You you know, you can pick them up for six bucks at, you know, one of the pet stores. Okay. um, And aerate it and add a little bit of molasses or honey. okay, And what that does, basically what you're doing with the compost teas, with the teas themselves, is they... Have microbes in them, and by aerating it and adding the sugar in either honey or molasses, by aerating it, it's building up those microbes. And those microbes are what you need in your soil and what you need on the plant in order for the plant and the soil to thrive. So, over time, if you're doing the compost teas and putting them right, you can pour it right over the plant and in the root zone that's going to significantly improve your space as well.
1: Is it okay to use to apply the tea directly or must I dilute it always?
0: It is okay to apply the teas directly and you don't want to do it during the heat of the day. Okay. I'd probably do it, you know, for here right now, you know, when it gets 115 during the day, I'd, you know, I'd be doing it at eight o'clock at night.
1: Okay. And watering at night and doing all of that at night, is okay? It won't promote fungus growth? Not
0: here. Um, okay. And, you know, the fungus growth comes with the fungus gnats, which, you know, are, all right, there's too much water on these. So if you have fungus gnats, the plants need to dry out a little bit more in between.
1: Okay. I have also another issue with the pumpkin plant. The, the female flowers are coming in, yep. and those beautiful... Three pumpkins, those little green ovary pumpkins are coming in, but they're drying up and Mm shriveling up. And I think it's the heat, or what is it?
0: It is, they're not getting fertilized.
1: They need more? Oh my God, they're so hungry.
0: No, they're not getting, I'm sorry, I should have said they're not getting pollinated.
1: But the flowers aren't opening. They're dying off before the flowers even open, the blossoms don't.
0: Because there are, there, I believe on pumpkins, there's male flowers and female flowers. Yes. So ideally what you want to do is you want to identify the male flowers. They're the ones on a long stem. Yes. And the female flowers have a little fruit, like you mentioned, at the uh, at the base of the flower. Take a male flower, take the insides out of the male flower, use it as a brush and brush the inside of the female flower. Put a little rubber band around the end. So leave the anthers from the male in there, and then put a rubber band or a paper clip around the end to keep it closed so that it fully gets pollinated. Same thing will happen with apples and peaches. If they don't get fully pollinated, you get stunted growth or no fruit at all. It'll, you know, it starts forming and then it drops away.
1: Can I do that method you just suggested on a female flower before the blossom has opened, before the female blossom is opened? Yeah, I think you could try that. Okay, let me try that. Yeah. Thank you.
0: You know, this is going so great. We should probably have you back in six months and have you give us an update on how everything's been going.
1: Yeah, I'm game.
0: (laughs) So let's shift and talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what you might have learned from it.
1: In regard to my garden, the biggest failure, I would say, would be reaching for that big brand soil.
0: And the learning from that was?
1: The learning from that failure was building, learning to build my own soil, mm-hmm. which I think it's huge. It's yeah. huge.
0: And your biggest success?
1: Is learning to build my own soil.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. And what drives you? What's your, what's your big why behind doing this?
1: My garden gives me a reason to get up in the morning in these strange times that we're living in when so much so much of the information that we're getting is uncertain mm-hmm. the kind of uncertainty that my garden provides me is something that I'm very comfortable with and it helps me to connect to humanity and also objects that aren't living, in that I'm able to transcend what we believe to be our current reality, Mm -hmm. that the plants and seeing their life cycle and their, their death cycle, death is also a part of how we should be able to understand how we live, that regeneration is a part of our experience. And with everything in the world undergoing such a regeneration and people coming into a higher consciousness, the garden opens a portal through which I can experience things that are both difficult but a way for me to engage that in a very private and individual way. Because I think that people think that they have to do something now or they feel like they can't do anything because the world, the world is so heavy at this moment. I think that just planting a seed, literally planting a seed, can allow you to feel empowered.
0: And feed you really well when it produces. Yes,
1: yes. In so many ways. It nourishes you in so many ways.
0: Nice. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: The book that I would like to recommend is called Hands of Light, A Guide to Healing Through the Human Energy Field authored by Barbara Ann Brennan. Barbara Ann Brennan is a former NASA physicist and a healer and educator. And I love this book. I bought it about 20 years ago, and every time I read it, I pick up something new from it. There's a section in it that talks about plant energy and how we can connect to plants and how they are affected by what we do to them. It's a very informative book for us to understand how our energy field, our personal aura, if you want to call it, is connected, is intricately connected to the larger web of life that we're all sharing, if you want to call it, I call it the source, mm-hmm. and, and plants are also interconnected with this, as well as inanimate objects and what we choose what kind of energies we choose to imbue them with. So it's about becoming aware and raising our consciousness. And it's, it's very much connected to the garden in, in ways that are magical. And it's a book of discovery.
0: <laughs> nice. And after chatting with you for almost 35 minutes now, I can see why you would have picked that book. Because you have this mind on you that is a discovery mind.
1: I'm curious.
0: Yeah, I like that. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: Oh, start small, be patient, and don't skimp on the soil.
0: (laughs) Cool. And I actually have one more question for you. One of the earlier places that you and I connected on was you were interested in EE Toy Onions. You had reached out to me looking for an EE Toy Onion. It's a it's more of a desert adapted onion and they're about the size of a quarter to a half dollar and you can eat the chives and you were having trouble finding them. And I packaged up some that were growing in my yard and sent them over to you. How are they doing and what did you do with them?
1: Well, what do you think I did with them? I planted them and guess what? I got green shoots. Is that normal?
0: That's normal.
1: That's what it's supposed to be doing. And which which brings me to my last piece of advice. If you are starting a garden on a budget, Meaning, maybe you're like me. You're a student. You don't have a lot of money. You have limited resources. Tell people you're starting a garden. Let them know that you'd like to be updated on where maybe free organic compost is being given out in your local area. Maybe a garden down this, a gardener down the street has something they can offer you. I, for example, told a friend that I was gardening, and for my birthday, I got. A set of gardening tools. I also got from for my birthday. Hey, if your birthday's coming up, let people know you're gardening. <laughs> right? I, did, I got I got a gift card, which I put back into the garden. I bought soil and the rack to organize my pots. And maybe you have a a friend who's willing to gift you some EE toy onion bulbs, so that you will never have to buy onions again. It's all about letting people know what you need and sharing. Isn't that what
0: life's about?
1: Yes, we're here to love and be loved.
0: Yeah, that is such a perfect message for you to share because that's that's really everything that we do here at The Urban Farm and on the podcast, it's all about having fun. And I equate fun with love. And if we're not having fun, let's not do it.
1: Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, you bet. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Angeline.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I hope to be back and share the developments in my magical garden.
0: <laughs> nice. And how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: You can write me at my email address. It's A like Apple A. Young as in the antonym for old A Young. The number 1717. One so A Young seventeen at ASU for Arizona State University. Dot edu like education. So a young seventeen at asu dot edu.